This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Sandy Hunt, and I'm here with my other host, Cheryl Kuhlman. And we are having a great time talking about really tremendous work going on in Philadelphia. Really innovative, interesting work. Um, you know, particularly struck by this uh, investment example of a staffing agency working with vulnerable populations. And that's a nice segment to our next conversation, yes. I think, in a way. So we welcome in this next segment, Justin George, who is the Washington correspondent for the Marshall Project. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, the Marshall Project is a nonpartisan nonprofit news organization that seeks to create and sustain a sense of national urgency about the U.S. criminal justice system. Maybe that needs a sense of urgency. And lots of conversation right now with the First Step Act um, in recent news. So welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you for having me. We are we are delighted to have you. Um, so, gosh, there's a lot we could discuss, you know, in, in this segment, a lot we could discuss with you. Let's start with the sort of headline news. Tell our listeners who aren't familiar a little bit about the First Step Act. Well, the First Step Act is a uh, bill that was passed in the House of Representatives uh, that seeks to essentially um, sort of reform our federal prisons by adding some uh, money that will be used for educational programs, for job skills programs, um, and also uh, essentially bans the practice of shackling pregnant women. Um, And it also uh, obviously just helps with sort of uh, different efforts in order to uh, help prisoners uh, get acclimated back to the community. One of those ways is they can earn more time um, on the back end of their sentences in halfway houses and home confinement for uh, good behavior and for using these uh, different educational and rehabilitative opportunities that would exist in the prison system. And, you know, I'm not saying this in a sort of sarcastic fashion, uh, because certainly there's a lot of reason to believe this is very good. But, you know, what data, what sort of um you know, results were we having from our prison systems that um, that sort of called for these changes and said, hey, this is this, these would be really productive and, um, you know, good steps uh, beyond the obvious ones. What what made this um, something that had to happen? Well, I don't think that there's very much argument at all that our uh, prison systems overall, uh, whether it be state or federal, is not doing very much. Um, when in terms of rehabilitation and in terms of educational opportunities. So you have people who are going to prison um, that come out in many ways worse off than they were before. Uh, you know, they're, they're losing time uh, to technology, watching as things change. Uh, there are obviously um, different sort of uh, bad influences that go on, can go on in prison, whether it be gangs or issues like that. Um, and, and then you have uh, essentially in the federal uh, system, there was a uh, survey that was done by the families against uh, mandatory minimums that showed that just, you know, 3 percent of federal prisoners said they had access to a computer. Uh, so you have people coming out and they're, you know, way behind the eight ball. Uh, you want people to get, uh, you know, better acclimated to, to society to get a job, which helps, you know, keep them out of trouble. Um, so we're looking to try to help these folks uh, to stay on the right path, and that's not going on right now. What's the recidivism rate in this country look like compared to to others? Like, how does the U.S. stack up? Um, 
You know, that is a good question. Question. Um, you know, right now, a lot of that, you know, needs to be studied further. Um, there was a five-year recidivism rate, I think, that showed that it was about like 76 <laughs> percent uh, from state prisons. Um, federal prisoners, I think, uh, it was somewhere around 45 percent, I want to say. But that's and, a- and this is the percentage of, of individuals for, who just aren't familiar with the language of folks who are coming out of the prison system and returning. In. Right. Um, you know, and again, that that is something that there has been a lot of. Uh, essentially, people are saying that they want the federal system to better study uh, recidivism. Mm-hmm. It's not something that they do very well right now. Got it. Okay. So, zooming out, I guess to talk a little bit about the the Marshall Project. Um, you know, it looks like you're really trying to you know educate and enlarge the audience of people who care about these issues. You know, why did the Marshall Project launch? Why was it important to get more folks caring about these issues? And what what do you hope happens as a result of that concern? Well, I think that you're watching in journalism now, especially with there's so much economic pressure that's being put on uh, newspapers out there. You have local newspapers in some cases that are folding. Uh, Certainly many of them are cutting staff to the point that they can't really uh, spend much time doing enterprise or investigative stories. And uh, you are seeing sort of more nonprofit journalism arise because there's such a drastic need to cover um, some serious issues. And um, clearly our founder, uh, you know, started this believing that the criminal justice system, one, was being um, undercovered, uh, and two, that there were serious flaws that were going on that needed to be exposed. And how is the Marshall Project funded? Is it, it you mentioned a founder? Is it a single founder who funds it? Do you get government grants? What's the what's the revenue source? Sure, we have several founders. Or I mean, sorry, funders, and they are you can easily read them on our website. Um, many of them are foundations. Uh, we do get grants. Um, different foundations sort of team up, and we have individual donors. You can become a uh, donor of the Nash, of the Marshall Project. We actually urge lots of people to. Um, to become involved. And uh, you can certainly sign up for our newsletter uh, at our website. And each day, um, Andrew Cohen, our senior editor, sends out um, essentially some of the best criminal justice links um, of stories on the web just to keep you informed. And so is the content mostly aggregation, or do you have journalists doing, um, you know, serious uh, investigative reporting on these issues? No, we have a staff. Uh, we have actually a growing staff now of um, reporters, and we do our own uh, work. And what we do is generally uh, we do report on different sort of pieces, and we look for a publication partner. We've partnered oh. with more than 100 different news organizations, you know, from the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, you know, to the New Yorker, to NPR, to USA Today, um, to local uh local places. And essentially what we do is our work uh, will appear there. And sometimes we will um, uh, obviously work together with reporters at other organizations um, and also produce investigative pieces that way. Recently, we teamed up with the LA Times um, on a series of stories. And and how do you measure the impact? So you're obviously able to you know, keep a pulse on how much content you're putting out there and readership. Um, but with ultimate aims, I imagine, to, to impact the criminal justice system, what sorts, what sorts of things are you guys measuring or looking at to see how effective you're being in your work? Well, I think impact is measured, one, by 
um, essentially seeing how much discussion uh, some of these stories uh, get. You can see that uh, happening, you know, in social media and other methods. But obviously, even the most important thing we want to see is how our work having um, impact. And in many cases, laws have changed uh, because of the stories that we have written. Um, you know, different uh, problems have been pointed out. Things have been stopped. Um, you know, and in the end, you know, obviously that is something that uh, we would like to see. We are not advocates, but when we point out something, you know, a system that is flawed, uh, to see it corrected, changed, obviously, is, is very satisfactory. And so the um, the work that you're doing now is continues your, you've got a journalism background. Is this, how are you finding the kind of uh, activity you're doing here compared to work that you've you've done in the past? It's very much the same. It's just a different subject matter. Uh, you know, we are very much a traditional news organization in, in every way. Uh, we operate with the same sort of journalistic ethics. Um, we have the same sort of, uh, you know, um, controls where we have editors who uh, uh, read our work thoroughly and look, uh, obviously, for um, sort of everything from grammatical issues to making sure that our facts are straight. Um, our head editor is Bill Keller, who ran the uh, New York Times for several years. Um, so, again, you know, our, our foundation, our roots are, are in strictly in journalism. And we're not, you know, all that different from a newspaper. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, when it comes to what you advocate for um, and what you're, what you're trying to, you know, activate your readers to do, this, you know, this issue of recidivism and our prison systems is certainly multifaceted, right? So when you take a look at what the First Step Act is is advocating for, it's education, vocational training, mental health. You talked about pregnant women. How are you working with the broader ecosystem around these issues to understand what works and what folks should be asking for, advocating for, and, you know, voting on? Yeah, and again, we're, we don't seek to advocate as much as we do to inform. And, uh, you know, that's one thing we do is we look to write deeper stories than maybe some of the mainstream organizations can or, or issues that they're not writing about. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, we can sort of look at um, things from, you know, a very sort of micro look at the different issues that are going on. And that is read by policymakers and people who are working at these agencies where these issues are going on. And obviously, uh, when something is exposed, they can see that, um, and then that would move to change things. In the past, we, and we do continue to hold um, oftentimes events where we might bring in uh, different uh, criminal justice sort of speakers and have, hold a panel uh, where they're interviewed or talked to so the public can learn more that way. Um, we do Q&As uh, with different people in uh, criminal justice and in government uh, to sort of have their own voice in explaining what's going on. We have uh, op-eds that we run constantly um, from all sorts of people across the different range spectrums. We have our Life Inside series um, that essentially is written by people who are affected or within the criminal justice system. We have mm -hmm. several writers who are in prison who actually contribute to the Marshall Project. So that's kind of fascinating. Do you think this is a, a model for the future of, of news the, both, both, both the um, focus on a particular topic and the nonprofit status? I do. Um, I think that you are seeing that more and more. I know that you are seeing things, um, you know, there's, there's uh, nonprofits that have popped up 
There's the trace that covers gun violence exclusively. Um, there is, I think it's called Chalkbeat, uh, a nonprofit now that covers educational issues across the United States. You have ProPublica, yes. which started this and um, essentially focuses on investigative stories and has been extremely successful. Um, so this is a model uh, when you are seeing sort of local news organizations that now you know, are failing, uh, whether it be because of you know, times changing or the terrible corporate owners that are out there um, that aren't necessarily, you know, looking to sort of fund journalism. Um, you have these sort of operations that are stepping into that void. Um, we still have a long way to go and, and many more are needed, but, you know, that's something that um, hopefully we will see more of, just as you see with their local uh, public radio stations that uh, have appeared across the United States for Decade. Right. You know, it, it, it is really fascinating because I think I, I was traveling and I watched The Post on the movie with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and just reminded about how important a, a free and um, active press is. And so, you know, trying to figure out how we how we keep that going in an era where, you know, people are not buying subscription to newspapers anymore, right? Not the way they did. And the ads are not supporting the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And as you have less money, you do less investigative journalism. So then it gets more more superficial. So how we how we strengthen the the press and the vital role it plays in, in an era where that's uh, more and more necessary is, I think, a really fascinating issue. Yeah, and I'm curious, Justin, can you kind of spell out for us the theory of change that that the Marshall Project has? So is it, you know, activating and informing people as voters and that they then vote and that's how change happens? Is it informing um, legislators? How how would you describe your your theory of change? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of those things. Um, They certainly can inform voters, uh, you know, obviously when elections come up. We certainly look at what the politicians are saying when it comes to sort of their platforms on issues of criminal justice, whether it be, you know, sentencing reform, prison reform, things like that. Uh, Absolutely affecting lawmakers. Um, You know, uh, if there's something that's pointed out, a lawmaker comes along and reads about some sort of injustice or issue that's come up. And we hope that, you know, obviously legislation might be passed in order to correct that. Um, So, you know, it's in any ways that you see other journalism sort of organizations work. Uh, You know, oftentimes it's just to raise the awareness of an issue that's going on, even in the face of uh, that issue not being changed at all. I mean, obviously you have an issue like um, um, that has appeared when it comes to gun violence, and not much has changed legislatively or in any way. Um, But there are ways to sort of educate people of what's going on in sort of uh, that situation. So, Again, that's what we're here for is just to inform. Yeah. And, and what's the call to action to our listeners for, um, you know, as, as Cheryl was saying, for identifying, you know, thoughtful and accurate news sources um, and for um, really prioritizing all the content that is out there? You know, what are you what do you hope listeners take away from um, the Marshall Project in terms of how they're finding and digesting content on these important issues? You know, I would say, again, uh, you know, just like anything, is read a number of sources. Uh, don't stick exclusively to one or the other. Um, you know, I mean, that's what Google is for and using Google News. And if you find a story um, and you want to just to make sure that it's correct, check it out. Uh, do your due diligence. 
don't read what's on Facebook um, and in some of our sort of silo, political silos and take that at face value. Uh, there's so much sort of misguided information out there. Go out there and look to yourself, see what's out there, know where your sources of information is coming from, who funds these organizations, um, who's putting these messages out. Um, you know, essentially don't just exclusively look, you know, for one source um, to be sort of authoritative on any sort of issue. And so I'm thinking about students who are um, interested in journalism or becoming reporters and, and really sort of being able to to uncover these issues and, and uh, share them with other people and inform. What kind of advice would you give to to students who are thinking about following your path? Yeah, I am a strong advocate for journalism. Uh, you know, regardless, you know, the job market is tough in, in almost every sector. If you are interested in journalism, you should pursue that passion. Uh, there's obviously always going to be need for journalists. Um, I believe that, you know, we are uh, essential to the democracy here. And that, um, again, if you're a student, you're interested in journalism, you know, start early, start in college, start not just working, you know, for your campus paper, but start work or your campus TV station, but start knocking on the doors of the local, uh, you know, TV radio stations that are out there. Um, go ahead and start writing, you know, and seeing if you can write for um, the different online organizations that are there and start, you know, producing some work professionally and get a head start on um sort of, you know, some of your other competitors who are looking for jobs. Um, you know, it's, it's a rewarding um, industry. Um, you know, there's a lot that's being said about it, whether it's, the, you know, again, uh, issues that are yep. going on economically or, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of just sort of uh, bluster around journalism these days. But again, if you are interested in journalism, you should definitely stick to it. And um, there is a there is a career path for you. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, I think that we've got uh, here on campus, we have the Annenberg School and they do the, the fact-checking of politicians' mm-hmm. statements during campaigns. And it's just an incredibly valuable resource. And you're just, as you watch newspapers struggle, you're thinking, what would it be like if we lost those those people who were going out there and really sort of trying to, to dig out the truth? in a very complex way. Yeah, so definitely great advice, I think, for folks to, to get out there and um, look at a breadth of, of uh, you know, content across different sources to consider the sources um, that they're, you know, reading, how they're digesting this news, maybe to pay for some of those sources so that yeah. they can, you know, they can fund investigative journalists and, and others. Um, so we're coming to the end of our segment. We just have a couple more minutes here. I'm curious, Justin, is there anything else in our last two minutes that you'd like to make sure our listeners understand about the Marshall Project? Um, yeah, we just want you to come and check us out. Go to www.themarshallproject, that's with the the, the org. Um, and read our uh, work, uh, you know, sign up for our newsletter, opening statement, um, and just, you know, stay informed that way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, these issues that we bring up, like I said, um, are important. Um, they're important to, you know, your neighbors, uh, you know, who may have, you know, people who are involved in the criminal justice system or or to your relatives who have been involved. I think the criminal justice system touches everybody. And there are a lot of issues that are going on there, whether it be, you know, issues of police reform, sentencing reform, prison reform, um, that you can be a part of and have, you know, essentially take 
uh, lead in discussions in your community about. So please come check us out. Come read us. Um, we would love to have you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Justin George, the Washington correspondent for the Marshall Project. I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 111. When we come back in our next segment, we're going to be speaking to Swap Naredi, who's a clinical assistant professor at Arizona State. We're really going to be talking about... Um, you know, the disparities in a lot of maternal health issues. Um, So it should be an interesting conversation. Please stay with us and be a part of it. And then join us at 930 for our open segment if you want to call in to discuss any of our guests, any topics, any social impact questions you have. We are thrilled that you're with us, and we hope you stick with us for the second hour of Dollars and Change. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 